0: Hey, it's Scott. Please stick around after the interview for an important news update. Thanks.
1: Biggest problem today, I would say, is lack of experience. We don't have any frame of reference anymore to basically make our own conclusions to what works better, best. And, and it leaves a huge vacuum.
0: Enchanted Sky Media. Media media. This is Code 3, the Firefighter's Podcast. Now, here's your host, Scott Orr. That's right, and I will not let Parkinson stop me. Thank you for joining me again here on Code 3. This is the show for and about firefighters. We're informing and entertaining members of the fire service, just like you. From coast to coast. Well, if you spend any time on Twitter, you've likely seen the tweets from Chris Tobin. He's a firefighter from St. Louis, and in the four years he's been on Twitter, he's racked up over thirty-seven thousand posts. Now, to be fair, he hasn't written them all himself; a lot are retweets. But to say he's opinionated would be an understatement. He has over six thousand followers. Which brings me to another point. His tweets are usually dead-on correct. Chris is the definition of an old-school firefighter. He's writing Rescue too these days. So I thought I'd ask him about the state of the fire service. Who better to give an honest answer? And Chris Tobin joins me now. Welcome to Code 3.
1: Alrighty, hey, thank you, and uh, thanks for this opportunity. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: I get the impression you feel that a lot of firefighters aren't aggressive enough, or maybe that their company officers aren't. True?
1: I would say they're afraid to be aggressive. I would say that they're apprehensive because they've been told not to be, and they've been fed scare rhetoric for too long. I think they're good firemen, but they're just afraid to push the envelope.
0: Why do you think that?
1: Because I was there. I was that person. When I was coming to the fire service 15 years ago, I bought everything hook, line, and sinker. You know, everyone goes home. That all got warped. I thought that aggressive firefighting was unsafe and reckless and that everything was going to fall and everything was going to kill me and that we lost 100 firefighters a year because we were too aggressive. That is obviously not the case. So I've been on both sides of the fence so I can relate to both camps. I'm, I'm pretty much here to... If I can do anything to, to at least give confidence back to those that are unsure.
0: Are you more of a hard-from-the-yard kind of guy or an aggressive interior offensive guy?
1: I'm for whatever works, and I'm for whatever saves the most life and property, and that's blatantly clear.
0: Sounds like you believe too many firefighters are too conservative.
1: Yeah, I think um, there's too many people out there that are unfortunately bored, they want to find a purpose, they want to find a solution to problems that don't exist. I'd be all for it if we were actually killing 100 guys a year and there was some massive problem to address with firemen getting themselves in trouble. But there is not. And to to try to pull us out of the buildings at a time where we're going to the least amount of fires getting the least amount of experience will only lead to more tragedy on our end
0: another area where you've been outspoken is the use of acronyms too many
1: so acronyms are okay they're great learning tools but they need to stay in the classroom we know that firemen are naturalistic thinkers we're you know recognition prime decision makers we don't have time to think about an acronym if you're using an acronym to make decisions then you're not in the right line of work so it's just all about context with acronyms keep it simple Don't count on them. Don't bring them to the fire ground. That's not how we do things. That's not how firemen do things. We've been studied for a long time on how we make decisions. Acronyms are not how we do that. Acronyms are a great way to uh, teach you the strategy and the tactics and principles behind things, but they need to stay in the training ground and never be on the fire ground.
0: How do you feel about the phrase, we risk a lot to save a lot, we risk a little to save a little, and how that phrase is used on the fire ground?
1: And it's absolutely true, but it's also 100% subjective. What's a lot to you? You know, um, I like my home. I'll, I'll risk my life for my home. It's my house. I want you to save that. That is a lot to me. My dog might be a lot to me. Maybe it's not a lot to you. Who are you to justify putting a value on my personal property? So that's very subjective. Yeah, obviously, if there's a life um, at risk, we'll, we'll take that risk. But it comes down to subjectiveness with that term. I think that's also something that's overused and taken out of context way too often. If my property is you know, being destroyed by fire, I want the fire department to save my stuff and not say, oh, it's not worth it. Um, you have insurance. In it. You don't know that. Basically, we should treat every fire like it's our stuff. Then ask yourself that question what what is a lot to you
0: i know you've had some discussions on twitter about whether you can tell if a house is occupied and that assuming it isn't is a dangerous thing why is that
1: first off there's no such thing as vacant it's safe and unsafe bacon is just a, a representation of a size up just because there's boards on the windows that that doesn't mean anything i can I can't tell you the last time I was in an actual vacant house that did not have signs of occupancy, especially in the older or just subpar cities, the socioeconomic factors, there's large homeless populations. People are living everywhere. So by the nature of an aggressive interior attack, a search is default anyways. So it really doesn't matter if it appears vacant or not. Now, if we get good information, we can obviously get a targeted search and be a little more aggressive in our endeavors. But just because it has boards on the windows and it looks vacant, that really doesn't, should not, and doesn't affect how we do things. Um, It's all about the structural integrity as far as the entry and not entry. And if you're a department out there that has in your SOGs that you don't go in vacant buildings, you're doing a really big disservice to yourself because that's someone's property also. I mean, I I have owned a vacant building, and I sure as heck for the fire department to go in and put the fire out.
0: I'll be back with more right after this.
1: On any given day, you are tasked to be your best and power through the worst of times, all at a moment's notice. We know the sacrifices you make each and every day. Your success relies on superior equipment and the best training available. That's why Federal Resources is here to support you, the everyday hero. We are here so you can excel. Discover your success at federalresources.com.
0: You know, if you don't do a primary search, you don't know if you should risk a lot.
1: Right. That's another thing. I think it's something that's gotten better for a second there. It seemed like. The apartments are on the bandwagon of vacant equals unsafe and vacant equals bad. That's not always the case. I can take you to places right now in St. Louis where there are trees growing through a roof and laundry hanging out back. And I can take you to a vacant house that's brand new, built this year. So that means nothing. Occupancy means nothing until we confirm what it actually is.
0: You weighed in on a recent discussion about rig teams. Where do you stand on their use? Do they throw ladders, or do they stand by and wait?
1: Basically, what your resources and manpower are going to dictate what you can afford and the luxury you have with your rig team. If you're pulling up with two-man engine companies and you're only getting half a dozen guys on your on your from your volunteer fire agency, you're not going. To, I don't expect you to have a rig team to just be able to stand there. You're probably going to put those guys to work. If you do have the manpower to have a dedicated rig team. Those guys, or at least two members, need to be at the ready to be actually be rapid at anything they're doing. They need to be the go-to guys to go get us when we need them. The problem is, is you get complacent because you see a writ team standing there two hundred times, and they never get used until all of a sudden there's that one time it's a commercial structure and they do need them, and all of a sudden they're not there because they're busy throwing ladders or they're it takes don't take the rapid out of the writ team. That's the lesson here, and manpower is at a luxury these days i get it it just depends on where you're at and the resources you have but there always needs to be two guys at the ready all the fires i've been at where the teams were actually needed they they had to pretty much come and, and group back together that's not how it's supposed to be you shouldn't have to do that
0: yeah hey, you're determined are you fully staffed and what is that for your guys
1: yeah, my department is fully staffed. We have the minimum of four-man companies, which you know NFPA uh, states what, what staffing should be at for you know, 1710. And um, also the IFF has done a bunch of research on the efficiency of four-man over a three-man and even a five-man over a four-man. So um, we, we are adequately staffed. We're, we're, we're fortunate that we get 30 firemen on a working uh, first-alarm fire. And um, my company has six. So we actually run with two additional because of the nature of the work that a rescue squad does.
0: You actually have some experience with departments that have less than optimal staffing, don't you?
1: Yes, I started there. I, I am a volunteer right now. I we have one person trucks. We have POVs. Wow. Um the the departments all around us have two. I have I started off in a fire department as a, a professional, I got paid my first paid department we had two man and three man companies. So so yes, I get it. I'm not some, you know, ignorant urban firefighter. I, I I'm both. I've done the the subpar response. I've I've done the, the heavy staffing. Um I see both sides of it and I can understand. But the main thing is here is um, if you want safety, you need people. You need a four man crew. It would be the safest way to approach a fire. I'll take four guys on one truck any day over two guys on two trucks.
0: What would you say is the one biggest problem facing the fire service today?
1: Biggest problem today, I would say, is lack of experience. We don't have any frame of reference anymore to basically make our own conclusions to what works better, best, and and just it leaves a huge vacuum for people to come in and pretty much have an agenda, and they rope in the masses who unfortunately aren't going to enough fires to know any better. And it really, really frustrates those of us that are in a fortunate position to go to regular fires on a daily basis because they just don't know better. And they, they buy the scare rhetoric and they buy the agendas. It's just it's, uh, unfortunate. Another big thing for the fire service is the training. We're setting our own selves up for failure. We, we can't train in realistic conditions. And then that's what we're, we're responding to. And then it's already led to tragedy across the country you'll see that with the younger volunteers. That's basically it. So the biggest thing right now would be the inexperience in the fire service, not having a frame of reference, engage what works best and what doesn't. And then also our subpar realistic conditions for training.
0: Given any thought to moving into the officer ranks yourself?
1: You know what? Tests get guys promoted, but situations make people leaders. And I don't I don't know, maybe maybe not. It's not something I wake up on a daily basis and say, Man, I, I wish I could be a, an officer today. It's not really something that I think about a lot. Um, that's not my goal in life. So I, I basically let the situation, you know, dictate who's in charge. And um if it so so be it, I'll step up when needed, but it's not something I have to be in control in, in that situation or in that position. Um, if it happens it does. If not, you know, I'm I'm not worried about it.
0: What's your goal as a firefighter?
1: My goal as a whole is, in the fire service in general, is definitely to stay as fair as I possibly can and just basically share my experiences. That was kind of the whole thing behind me getting into the instructing side of things was I, I realized real fast coming from a very, very slow department that only went to one or two fires a year to a department that, We'll go to multiple fires in one day. I I saw real fast how how much stuff that I didn't know, and I just wanted others to know that. There's so much that's not in the books that, that you just learn from doing it on a regular basis, and my whole goal is to basically pass that on and just show people any way I can, you know, the little tips and the tricks that we pick up from the street.
0: How is the mentoring in your department?
1: So the mentoring is generally left up to the company level, either to the, the company officer or the senior man. And um, that gives you a wide variance of a product. If the individual that needs the mentoring goes to a company where the, the crew isn't really into that, then that's obviously not going to produce uh, you know, um, a good thing. If they go to a company where it's highly motivated, they have good senior men, they have a good captain, then that person usually comes, comes out on top. And uh, it's just basically left up to the, uh, to the company officer and the company themselves to mentor their newer members. And um, it's something I'd say is a, is a pretty good thing in my department. It's, it's, um, it's, it's definitely practiced on a regular basis.
0: How would you assess your mentoring skills?
1: I know for myself. Everyone talks about mentoring, as, as they always look down when someone asks about mentoring. Everyone already always goes to the default, you know, context of like bringing someone up. I I take it as the other direction, to where honestly for me, I'm looking for when I when I want to figure out how to do something, I find someone that does it more than me, and then I become best friends with them, and I pretty much demand that they teach me all the stuff that they know. And so as far as mentoring goes, I'm always trying to find some new stuff I can pick up, some new tricks, some new tips, and trying to find a way to do what I do better. And um, I'm always out out looking for, for new um, connections that way. And I keep in contact with multiple firemen across the country that do what I do more than me. And I pass that on to those that do it less than me. So, you know, it's a kind of a, you know, mentorship is a two-way street.
0: Chris Tobin, thanks for being on Code 3.
1: My pleasure.
0: Thank you. And we put some more information on our website at code3podcast.com slash aggressive. Check it out. Now, here's my news update. I have been let go from my full-time job. This could be good news. It means I'll have more time to produce even more content for Code 3. Unfortunately, it also means I need to worry about becoming homeless and buying groceries and the rest of it. So I'm asking for your help. If you ever thought about donating a few bucks to support this show, now would be the time to do it. I love doing Code 3 for you, And now I could maybe even do it five days a week. I certainly have the time, but I'll really need your help. Please go to Code3Podcast.com and click on the support button. That'll take you to my Patreon page, where you can make a monthly pledge to keep this show and me alive. Thanks for listening to Code 3. And thanks for donating. Now, here comes your trivia question. Nozzle reaction is measured in pounds of force, right? That's a function of what two factors? I'll have the answer right after this.
1: Now's your chance to get your hands on Code 3 t-shirts, sweatshirts, and more. Show your support for the podcast that supports firefighters from coast to coast. Just go to Code3Podcast.com and click on the Code 3 store link. Or go to Code3Podcast.com slash shop and tell the world that you're a Code 3 fan.
0: Here's the trivia answer. Nozzle reaction is measured in pounds of force and it's a function of flow rate and nozzle pressure. All right, that's it. That's all for this edition of Code 3. Thank you for listening. I'll be back next time with more, and I hope you'll join me. I'm Scott Orr, and until then, I'll see you later.
1: Code 3 is a production of Enchanted Sky Media. To get in contact with us, visit Code3Podcast.com. And if you haven't subscribed yet, you should. Don't miss an episode. Find us at the Apple iTunes Store, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts.